0: The death, the suffering, the resurrection, the ascension, and what that actually means to us, Psalm 103, he lays it out perfectly, what does the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus do for those who believe? And so the whole entire gospel, the whole gospel, is in the book of Psalms. And so David was a man who spent time in the presence of God, and uh, he wrote a lot of songs, and so I'm going to end with one of his songs, but... Uh, we're going to just examine and see a few quick snapshots from his life. Before we got into the Psalms and before we got into some of his writings, we, we were studying when he committed adultery and uh, his eyes went somewhere they shouldn't have and then his his whole body and everything else followed that and that adultery led to murder which led to uh it was really not even sin because sin is like you make a mistake this was iniquity this was premeditated he did this on purpose type of stuff and so nathan the prophet then confronts him and the prophet confronts him with a parable and then he repents and then he writes this amazing song psalm 51 which is a psalm of repentance and it happened because the prophet actually confronted him and um Sometimes out of our greatest pain and our greatest tragedy, some really amazing things are born uh, from that place. And so instead of David being like, you know what, Like, why don't we sweep this under the rug? Like, No one has to know that I did what I did. We can just kind of press delete on that because the kings in those days actually had control over what was written and what would be remembered. Instead of him hiding what he did, he wrote a song about what he did, a hit song actually and many people have cried and repented and said, Dear Lord, forgive me for all the evil and the bad things that I've done through this psalm. So what he did is he took his mistake, wrote a song about it and gave us a point of context so that we can actually see ourselves in what we've done and begin to identify with him and begin to find a place of confession and then later repentance where we could be actually sorry for what we've done, so sorry that we don't continue to do it. Because if some people are sorry they got caught, they're sorry the pain that they feel, but they're not sorry enough not to do it anymore. You know that you're really sorry when you don't do it anymore. That that's when you know you, it, the sorry has went from your head to your heart, and when the pain. that that your decisions are causing you and others is screaming at you loud enough uh, that you need to change. And so people, humans, don't change usually until the pain hurts enough and causes us to humble ourselves and actually say, you know what? I actually now have the power to change because this is hurting enough for me to humble myself and now I'm being empowered uh, through humility and I receive grace and now I have the power to change. And so basically, uh, David... Uh, does this thing and he gets confronted and the prophet brings him a word and um, he's sorry and God forgives him. But here's the thing, his actions have consequences in real time. So in heaven, he's forgiven. But on earth, there's consequences. And so what happens is his son Absalom begins to go crazy and um, David actually becomes, he goes on the run from his own son. So dishonor breeds dishonor. Right, And so he begins to reap what he sowed even though he's forgiven. That's, that's a very interesting concept. It's, it's sometimes it's a hard concept for us to reconcile because we go, well, we're forgiven. Yes, that's true. But there is a law of sowing and reaping. And sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes we actually do reap what we sow. And sometimes the mercy of God withholds us from us reaping what we sow and and the mercy of god is active in our life so much that we don't even sometimes we don't even get how merciful god has been to us because the mercy of god says i'm not getting what i deserve the grace of god says i'm getting a lot more than i deserve and so that, there's the difference there. But grace empowers me to do with God what I could never do without him. And mercy withholds from me what I really do deserve. And so most of God's power is manifested in our life through his mercy in us not getting what we deserve. But this time David's decision catches up with him and his, the iniquity and his son. And so he's on the run from his son. And and it really turns into a nightmare And then he eventually comes back, takes his throne, and and God begins to work it out. But there's some consequences to his actions. And uh, I want to actually go into those. But first, I want to um, encourage you... And remind you just a few things about David. And today really is, is about becoming powerful. I'm, I'm sharing this message today because I have this intention. And, and I believe that the people who are here and listening and, and watching, I believe that you want what God wants for your life. I believe that you're, you're, you're sitting here or you're listening or you're watching because you want what it is that God has for your life, which means God wants you to be healed, God wants you to be healthy, and God wants you to be powerful. But not powerful as we define powerful, powerful as he defines powerful. Which means we're not under the influence of other things, but we're under his influence and his inspiration. So that means I'm not in the bondage to the past. I'm not in bondage to drugs. I'm not in bondage to pornography. I'm not addicted to your opinion of me. I'm not under what other people said about me. I'm not what someone did to me. I'm free. The truth has freed me and made me a son who is loved and accepted, and I live from that place, and I approach circumstances and situations from a place of being free, which is a place of being powerful, and I can make decisions based upon what is honorable to God, not only what is just simply beneficial for me. And so David was forgotten by his father and rejected by his brothers. This is real story. David said in the Psalms, I was conceived in iniquity. When his his father called forth all of his sons, David was left out. How was David made? In iniquity. Maybe his father wasn't proud of what he did, which is why he didn't get David. But God many times will choose what people push out, what people reject, what people are not interested in, God is interested in. God is not interested in the tall, handsome one. God is interested in the little boy who has a pure heart, who's been worshiping when no one is looking. The one who slayed a lion and a bear when no one was looking. The one who's been singing on the backside of a mountain when no one was looking. That's the one that God chose. The one who also was courageous when no one's looking. Everyone's a tough guy when they're with their friends and when they're in a crowd. It takes someone who is courageous to be courageous by themselves because they know that they're not by themselves. David made some bad choices. Those choices had consequences. He repented, God forgave. From his pain, revelation was born and songs were written. This is his life. Remember, we went over a few of them. David was a man after God's heart, David was a man who spent time in God's presence. David was 100% transparent with God, which means he could be intimate with God. This is very important. Your transparency with God determines the level of your intimacy that you will have with God. So if you will be transparent before God, you can have intimacy with God. In other words, if you can be a hundred with him, if you can tell him what you're struggling with, what you're mad at, what you're going through, if you can identify where you are, he can meet you there. What does God say? Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. So now he died, he rose, and now the ball is in, he poured out his spirit, but now the ball is in our court. So that means if I take a step toward him, he takes a step toward me. So how do I take a step toward God? I tell him where I am. I tell him what's going on with me. I open myself up to what is going on in my life. And what happens is when I have nothing to hide from God, I live a radically different life. Could you imagine a person who has nothing to hide? How would they live? Confidently, very differently. Someone who has nothing to hide. Someone who you could look through the computer... You could look through their checkbook. You could look through their life. You could look. They live differently than someone who has something to hide. Right? And God wants us to live confident in his love for us. Not in our, our, uh, you know, performance. Not in we're confident because we had a good week. We said our prayers. We dropped a little money in the bucket. We came to church and we're doing all right. And I'm not talking about confidence in our ability or our performance. I'm talking about confidence in who he is to us and what he has done for us in such a way that it transforms how we live and then we don't have anything to hide. And then as he is in the light, we walk in the light. And when you look at our life, you see light because there's nothing hidden. Now, that is the kind of person that can stand before people and live differently. They're not subject to what other everyone thinks about them, what everyone feels. They live differently because they know how the Father feels about them. So when I say becoming powerful, I'm not simply talking about money or a bigger car, which I want one. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something very different from that. I'm not talking about how May, uh, Wall Street defines power. I'm not talking about how Wall Street defines success. I'm not talking about how Hollywood puts images before our eyes and says, this is what's beautiful, this is what's powerful, this is what success is. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being free from that so that you can minister to that because those are the people who jump out of buildings, not the people across the street on Section 8. So now, let's continue. Your transparency with God will determine the level of intimacy that you have with God. This is very interesting. Psalm eighteen twenty-six. Listen to this. Again, this is David. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the fraud, you will show yourself a fraud. What? Did you read that? That's God talking. That's David talking on God's behalf saying, If you're pure, you... You will see God as pure. If you are a fake, if you are a fraud, if you are not what you say you are, you will see God as you are. Because we do not see things as they are, we see things as we are. So that means that what you believe about God will determine what you receive from God. Just like the parable where Jesus said, according to your own mouth you're judged. You thought that I was a harsh uh, and, and strict man? According to your words. See, this is very critical. What we believe about God determines what we will receive from God. That's why I spent a lot of time talking about that thing, God is not in control. Why would I spend time? Why would I press that button? Why would I touch that? Why would I keep touching that? Why? Because if we believe that God is in control, then he's a very bad boy. Because there's a lot of bad things that are happening, and if he is in control of all that, then we need a new God. We need a new God. Someone send him an email and tell him he's not doing a very good job, but if God is in charge and he will hold everyone accountable for what they have done, then he will not assume responsibility for the evil that happens in the world because it's not his fault. He gave the earth to the sons of men, and the sons of men will be held accountable for their actions. Now, why would I say that God is not in control, versus, and He is in charge? He's sovereign, He's all-powerful, He's almighty, He's unstoppable, His greatness is unsearchable. Yes, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, and all that dwell therein. Yes, but He is not the cause of your pain. In fact, one day He will wipe away every tear from your eye. Why would I want to pursue someone and wholeheartedly serve and love someone who in my subconscious mind I believe is the source of my pain? God, you did this to me. No, he didn't. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, not Jesus. So if it's stealing, killing, or destroying, it wasn't Jesus. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Why would I spend time? Why would I keep touching that? Why would I keep pushing on that button? Why? Because what you believe about God will determine what you receive from God, and what you receive from God determines how you represent Him. If you don't have nothing for Him or nothing from Him, how can you represent Him? It would be like a diplomat being sent from another country with no budget. They don't represent where they're from like that. See, let's continue. I want to share a verse. I think this is a very profound verse. Psalm 25, 14. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him, and He will show them His covenant. Do you see how it talks in plural, them, not me? Americans, everything is I, me, mine. This is not that language. This is they and them. You see that? God is looking for a company of people who perceive Him properly that He might show Himself strong on their behalf. You see how God thinks? God is not thinking just individually. God is not here to make your life better and simply just to bless you and forget about everyone else. God sees us as individuals, yes, but He sees us in the context of one another. He made us members of one another. And when God thinks about blessing me, he actually intends for that to bless you. And when God thinks about blessing you, he sees that with the intent of you blessing me. Because he sees us interconnected. He sees us as a body. So the secret of the Lord, the intimacy of the Lord, the counsel of the Lord... Is with them that fear him. Which means. If I approach God properly. I am able to receive from him. What is hidden to others. If I, if I approach God properly. If I ascribe to him. Awe, if I say oh, God is holy. If I have a fear of the Lord. If I have an honor for God. If I put him. In a place of high esteem. And nothing above him. If I put him in that place in my life. If I position myself properly with him, I will receive from him that which will reveal his covenant faithfulness. But this is not I, this is we. You see the difference there? Not I, we. So that means that if we position ourselves properly toward the Lord, if we ascribe the worth that he's due. If we give him the honor and and what he deserves. If we do not withhold from him that which is his. If we honor him, if we put him first, if he he is preeminent in our life, what does that mean? First in rank, greatest in influence. So that means Jesus' opinion is what I think of first. Jesus' opinion is what matters most. That's, you know, New Jersey translation. If If I put him in a place of preeminence in my life, he's preeminent. That means he can demonstrate his covenant faithfulness. In our lives to do what he said he would do. So he's not looking for an individual, he's looking for a company of people who will approach him correctly so that they can receive that which he has for them so that God can manifest his covenant faithfulness to a people so that the other peoples who are surrounding and who are watching and who are observing your life and my life and our life can see the covenant faithfulness of God that God is a faithful God and he does what he says he was going to do you guys with me this is good what you believe about God, again, will determine what you receive from Him. How you position yourself with Him will determine what you receive from Him. One of, one of the things that is is very tragic, and I, and I see this, and uh, it took me a long time to realize that I missed it. My early 20s, I missed it. Sometimes when I was younger, I did not understand the blessing and the benefit of the people that God brought into my life. In other words, I took people for granted because I wasn't able to fully see them correctly because I didn't see him correctly and I didn't see myself correctly. So I wasn't able to then honor those people correctly. So I robbed myself of what it is that they had that I needed. Sometimes the solution that you need is right in front of you. But if you don't honor that person or those people correctly, you will not receive from them what you need from them. Jesus of Nazareth is a great, is is the best example, obviously. They go, aren't you, aren't you, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, Mary, Mary's uh, son, Mary and Joseph, illegitimate, born out of wedlock, that son? Uh, So they tripped over what they thought they knew about him, which blocked them from receiving what he had they needed. So Jesus said, that's cool, I'll go to the next town. And there they received him properly, and there they received what he had that they needed, which was miracles, signs, and wonders, and supernatural power. But their dishonor shut them down. And uh, this is a big thing, because we live in a culture that is bathed with dishonor, and built upon dishonor, and it's predicated, the First Amendment, which I can say whatever I want all the time, no matter what, because it's my right, and that's okay. So we live in a culture that is predicated on saying whatever we want to whoever we want. And it's usually built on dishonor. It's not usually built for the benefit of the person you're talking to. It's usually to get off whatever it is you want to say off your chest. And then what happens is you let that dysfunction out into the atmosphere. And you give Satan a surfboard to come riding into the circumstances of your life and steal, kill and destroy. What did Proverbs say? The wisest and richest man in the world said... He said this, you are ensnared by the words of your own mouth. The only limitations that we have are the words that we speak. The Bible says that a fool is perceived wise if he holds his tongue. Life and death, or death and life, actually, are in the power of the tongue. I don't know if this is making sense to anyone. So, David, he goes to Ziklag. This is a really interesting story. Let's go to 1 Samuel 30. I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. You can check and make sure that I'm not messing around. David and his men come back to Ziklag, they're out to war. And this is what happens David comes back to Ziklag, the city is burned, the children are taken, and the women are taken. What does that mean? It means that when the men do not play their position, the women and the children are taken into captivity. What is the enemy after? Your future, your legacy. What does he want to take? Your woman and your child. What is what is the, what is the woman? The woman is what helps you have an inheritance for the next generation. Is what produces legacy. So when the man doesn't play his role, the enemy comes in, steals your wife and your children, and steals your legacy. So if you don't man your post, someone will take it. How many times has the devil came into houses because the man doesn't stand up and play the role that he's supposed to play? If the man does not man his post, his spot will get robbed. This is, this, is, this is Bible. So what happens is, David comes, very powerful story. It says this, that he wept until he had no more strength. He, at this time he had two wives. So imagine, you not just one wife, you lose two wives in one day. Not, a, not an easy day. So David comes and he weeps until he has no more strength. He, he wept all of his strength out. He was just completely distraught. His men pretty much want to kill him, by the way. Because somehow this is his fault. You know who always gets blamed for things when people don't play their position? God or leaders. They weren't manning their posts just like him, and they got robbed. But somehow it's his fault, not their fault. We always look to pass blame to someone else. Instead of assume responsibility and say, that's actually my fault. Because I wasn't manning my post My wife and my children and my city were destroyed. And that's exactly the order. Wife, children, city. All in shambles. All destroyed. And so David begins to weep. He begins to pray. He begins to cry. The scripture says this, that David encouraged himself in the Lord. This is something that every believer must learn how to do because there is going to be a day where you're going to pick up a phone, you're going to call someone, they're not there, you're going to text someone, no answer back, everyone's busy. You're going to have to learn how to strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. You're going to have to learn how to get on your face, how to come before the Lord, and how to touch that throne and how to receive grace for what you're about to stand up and fight against. Because there's a situation and there's a time where folks will walk the mountain alone. Your husband is not going to be there to settle the problem. Your wife is not going to be there to settle the problem. Abraham had to walk the mountain alone. Moses walked the mountain alone. There are times where you will not be fully alone. But you yourself are going to have to stand up and face something. And you're going to have to learn how to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Because there will be a time that those around you will be deaf to you. And in that time, you're going to have to learn how to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Right after that, you see that he he actually comes into the fullness of the kingdom after he learns how to strengthen himself in the Lord. You cannot occupy the inheritance that God has for you if you're a needy person who lives off other people. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be accountable. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be transparent. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't share. But I am saying that we should go to God first. Not to Google, not to your wife, not to your husband. Get on your knees and talk to the one who holds the planet in motion. He'll keep your circumstances. good. And, and this needs to be our reflex. See, because what happens is our habits... Determine our reflexes. But some of us are so used to turning to other things first. Because Jesus isn't first. So we're used to turning to other things first. And when we turn to those other things or those other people. It does not produce what it is that we really need. What do we really need? The courage to face the situations that we find ourselves in. What did David do? He encouraged himself in the Lord. When I come and I stand here and I encourage you, I am ascribing courage to you. I'm taking courage from the word. I'm throwing it toward you. I'm saying, receive courage to confront what is trying to keep you from moving forward. I cannot slay your giant for you. You have to face whatever it is that is trying to hold you back. Thoughts, Feelings, emotions, circumstances, people's opinion of you, your opinion of yourself, what someone did to you, what someone said about you, what someone didn't do for you, someone walked out on you, whatever it is that may have happened, we have to learn how to get in God's face, how to bear our heart before God, how to share with Him what it is that's going on, so that once we pick ourselves off of our knees or off of our face, once we get back up, that we get into and engage with real life again, with faith and with courage to confront the thing that would try to hold us down or hold us back. So David does something very profound and he takes the the, the breastplate of the high priest, which was not really his job to do that. But what he was saying is this was an act of faith. He, he did this because... He is a man who's been intimate, who's been personal with God. He's going through a real struggle. He wants to hear God personally. He doesn't want to hear God talk to someone else. He wants to hear God talk directly to him. And so he asks God two very, very profound questions. And this may be actually the way that he encouraged himself in the Lord. How do you encourage yourself in the Lord? By stopping to hear from God. Because God's word to you is strength and life to your bones. And so what happens is, David asks the Lord two very specific questions. He says this, should I fight, will I win? Because the whole city was taken. This is a big deal. And so David asks the Lord, he inquires of the Lord with the the, the priest's breastplate. Should I fight, will I win? The Lord's answer is yes and yes. So David gets up, and then he leads his men, who wanted to kill him just a few verses earlier. He leads them into victory. Because now he's living from what God has said, not what's going on in his circumstances. But you don't understand how bad it is. Listen, it may be bad, but I tell you what, if you hear from God and you move from that place, I guarantee you, you're moving forward, and not a demon in hell can stop you. So one of the things that we do to learn to encourage ourselves in the Lord is we ask God specific questions. Specific, Lord, what do you want me to do based upon where I am right now? Based upon what is going on right now? What is my next move, God? I am open to hear from you. In fact, your word is life to me. It's strength to me. Speak to me and show me how I should move and how I should operate where I find myself right now. Lead me forward. Let your word be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Give me illumination. Give me revelation. Show me what it is that I should do and I'll do it. And then the good news is that his words are seasoned with grace. So when God speaks to you, he is then empowering you to do something with him that you could never do on your own without him. So David engages and he fights and God is with him, but he has to fight. And so he goes and he takes back everything that the enemy had stolen from him. That's the end of that story. You're going to see, we're going to jump into Chronicles. This may be perhaps the greatest thing that David did. This may be the greatest thing that I'm I'm about to share with you right here. And to me, this is probably the most profound thing about David's life. To me. I have a friend of mine, a very, very wise friend. And he's from Sao Paulo, Brazil. And I was with him recently. His name is Tiafalo Hayashi. He has a humongous ministry called Dunamis. He's building a university from the ground up. He's, He's super. He's killing it. Very powerful guy. Good guy. And I said, T, how do you make decisions? Tell me, let me get inside your head. How do you make decisions? And he said, there's four factors that I consider when I make a decision. Number one, do I have a word from God? Number two, do I have manpower? Number three, do I have money to do what it is I'm trying to do? Number four, do I have momentum to lean into what I'm doing so I don't have to stop other things and give all of my attention to one thing because I can't do that? And what you're going to see in the life of David is David has three of the things that he needs to do what it is that he wants to do for God, but God does not want him to do that. And this may be the most profound thing that David did. Jason Upton is a prophetic prophet on a keyboard and he says some really really powerful things and this is one of the things he said he said lord deliver us from the things that we can do what does that mean it means that i don't want to live in the power of my own strength and i don't want to just do things for god that i could do without his help Let me drive it home. An underground apostle from China comes to a humongous conference in Texas. And he was blown away by how many people, how big the conference is. You know, lights, camera, screens. woo! And he goes, man, you guys can do a lot of stuff without Jesus. Lord, deliver us from the things that we can do without you. You can do a lot, that's what he said, broken hearted, in humility. You can do a lot without Jesus. Scary. First Chronicles 28 verse 3, this is uh, David, he's standing before all the people. He says this, But God said unto me, Thou shalt not build a house for my name, because thou hast been a man of war and hast shed blood. One of the Psalms says that I will not give sleep or slumber to my eyelids until I build a house for God. The one thing that God that David wanted to do for God more than anything is to build God a house. David had the money, David had the manpower. He had the momentum. He had the kingdom. He was the first king that took the people of God into the land that God promised them. He was the one who finally took them into the whole promised land that God actually had called Moses to do. So what God had called Moses to do, Joshua was unable to do because he began to tolerate and compromise with his enemies. And the enemy seduced Joshua into making a league with him. Because the enemy knows if he fights me, I lose. So instead of me fighting him, I can't win that way. Let me find a way that I can get him to agree with me and learn to live in compromise so that he doesn't take the land that's his. We cannot inherit the fullness of what God has for us if we live with compromise in our life. Bottom line. David was like, nope, I'm going to get the whole entire land no matter what. And that's what he did. So he has the kingdom, he has the crowds, he has the money, he has the power, you know, money, power, respect, he has all of that. He has all of that. Except he doesn't have a word from God. So he could have built the house for God and everyone would have said, You're great, man. You're awesome, dude. This is awesome. We got mega church going on. This is amazing. So powerful, man. I just feel it when I come here, man. Except God wasn't in it. The most powerful thing David did is not do what he wanted to do. To become a powerful person, the most powerful thing you can understand is to not do what it is that you want to do. the most powerful thing that David ever did is not do what he wanted to do. Everyone would have been like, you're the man, bro. Awesome. Except God. You see what Jason Upton said? Lord, deliver us from what we can do. Do You see that? There, There are... We do not... As believers in Jesus, we do not want to live simply limited to what we can do with our own sweat. There's no grace and there's no favor on that. We want to live above that. Abundant life is not me living according to what I can get with the sweat of my brow. Or what I can do with what it is in my power to do. Abundant life is when I enter into the favor of God and I'm able to do with Him something that I could never do without Him. And just because you have the power or the resources or the influence or the momentum to do something doesn't mean God has called you to do it. And this is a lesson for some of us because some of us in the future will have power to do things that God has never called us to do. And we'll have to discern... What is God saying? David stands before the nation. Could you imagine a king? This is, a, this is, this is not a, by the way, this is not a democracy. You, you understand? This is a kingdom. So what he says is law. What he says is legislation. There's no Congress to run this through. It's all executive order. Whatever he says is what goes. And David stands before the people humble. This is like not easy for a king to say he's in charge. Who's going to tell him no? God. But he listened. You see, that's why he was a man after God's heart. Because when God spoke, he listened. Did he mess up? Yes. Was he human? Yes. Did he do bad things? Yes. Was he a bad boy at times? Yes. But when God confronted him, he was wrong and he was sorry. And he didn't hide it. He wasn't a hider. So he stands before all the people and goes, God told me that I'm a bloody man. (laughs) The God who forgave him, yes. Oh yeah, he was forgiven. This is not a thing of condemnation or shame. He's free, he's forgiven. But he's not qualified to do something that God wants his son to do. And there's, power, there's something in that because when, when it says that he was a bloody man, it, it wasn't that he was a man of war. It was that he was a man who shed innocent blood. Which disqualified him from building a house for God. It didn't disqualify him from leadership. It didn't disqualify him from getting the inheritance and and the promised land. It didn't disqualify him from that. But it did disqualify him from building a house for God. What God did is say, you're not going to build a house. Your son is. And David said, okay. But what God did... Is God wrote the pattern and wrote the tabernacle and wrote the, the instructions for the house of the Lord on his spirit. God gave David the download and God allowed David to be a part of what he was doing. Even though it wasn't going to go specifically through him, but it was going to go through his son. The money that David gathered from plundering his enemies, that those resources, that's what built the house of God. So David was... A very much a part of what God was doing. But it wasn't going to go directly through his hands. It was going to go to his son and through his son. I don't know if you heard that. To his son and through his son. And so God then used Solomon. We're going to, we're going to get into that. But let me just let me just drop something on you that David said. I want you to hear the echoes of of what's being said. This is... Uh, First Chronicles 29. Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever. Watch the next verse. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. And thou art exalted above all. I don't know if you hear echoes of the Lord's prayer. But if you spend time in God's presence, you begin to have the right perspective. Nobody was calling God Father then. Nobody. David was. Why? He spent time in God's presence and his perspective was changed. He was able to see something clearly before others. Why? Because he spent time in God's presence. When you spend time in God's word, when you spend time in God's presence, God renews your perspective and you begin to see things not as you are and not as they are, but as God sees them and as they really are. And then you begin to interact with reality correctly. Without God's perspective, I cannot even interact with reality correctly. That's why understanding Jesus and who he is and what he came to do is critical to understanding who we are and what we're supposed to do. We're going to end in Psalm 27. Let's go there. This again is a Psalm of David. You're going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to tie this right into Jesus. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When David is saying this, he had a revelation that God was his light. Do you know that this is thousands of years before Jesus came and said, I am the light of the world? When Jesus steps into human flesh and says, I am the light of the world, what he's saying is that I am Israel's God, I am the Messiah. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So based upon who the Lord is to me, that affects how I interact with reality out here. It affects how I see you. It affects how I see you. It affects how I see me. So because the Lord is my light, in in other words, I'm not in darkness. In other words, I can see things correctly because the Lord is my light and because he is the one who rescues me, therefore, I shall not be afraid. So because of who the Lord is to me, it determines how I see other things and how I interact with other people. Are you seeing this? This is intimacy. This is because of who Jesus is to me. This is how I interact with the world around me. What we believe about God has to radically transform how we interact with the world around us. In other words, we have to come out of the closet with our Christianity. And we have to interact with the world around us based on what Jesus has done for us and who Jesus is to us. Then we can interact properly with people and then they can feel the value and they can feel valuable and they can feel love and they can know that he cares and they can find a place and they can find an identity which gives them purpose, which gives them legacy, which gives their children's inheritance and then their family line and lineage is shifted. Verse 2: When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, camp upon me to eat my flesh, they stumble and fell. So, based upon who the Lord is to me, that actually affects how the enemy tries and is unsuccessful at relating to me. I don't know if you're with me here. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. In other words, when circumstances are against me, when I'm outnumbered, I don't have to be afraid. Why? Because the Lord is my light and my salvation. So that means that I don't have to be ruled by the circumstances that I find myself in. I don't know if you're seeing this, but based upon who the Lord is to him, that is determining how he is seeing and perceiving his reality and living from that place. This is really good. One thing. Okay. The war should rise up against me, and this will I be confident. One thing, if I could sum David's whole entire life up, I would take this verse and say, this is a description of who David is. The one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This is what this man was hungry for. He had money, fame, women, everything he wanted. Power, all of that stuff. But that was not the one thing that he desired. He had that, but that's not what he desired. There was a desire within him that was deeper than what he could get through the strength of his own hand. There was something that he was pursuing. And this is the thing we have to understand. The thing that we really desire is the thing that we pursue after. And we, 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 so you say, well, uh, whatever you really want, that's what you're pursuing. So, so if you don't pursue God, that's because you really don't desire him. That's because you have not been awakened to your need for him. But when you're awakened to your need for Him, and don't worry, life will do that for you. It's okay. You you don't have to feel guilty. Don't worry. Just keep living. Just keep breathing on planet Earth. Planet Earth has a way of yoking you up, putting you in a chicken wing, cuffing you to the wall, and leaving you there until you go, Uncle, I need Jesus. It's okay. And other people around you will not be able to help you. You're going to have to come into contact with Jesus for yourself. I see this. When I leave the country, my wife goes through problems. Why? Because God is teaching her to step up and rise up and be the woman that God called her to be. Because I cannot be the woman that God called her to be. Because I'm not a woman. And she has to step into the role that God has for her. So, so there will be a time. Your husband's not there. Your wife is not there. Someone is not there to nurse you to life. where You're going to have to strengthen yourself in the Lord. And you're going to have to get a hold of God for yourself. And it's going to have to become real for you. So then you can stand up with a backbone and tell the devil, get behind me, Satan. And then assume and take the authority that you have in the kingdom. And then move into what God has for you. One thing I have desired, that will I seek after. Whatever you're seeking after is what you really desire. This is the, this is the fact of life. And it's, it's a sad fact and sometimes it's, it's not easy to handle. But it's reality. Whatever you desire, whatever I really desire, I'm seeking after. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He'll set me upon a rock. And now... My head be lifted above my enemies, round about. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yeah, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou said, seek my face, my heart said, Lord, your face will I seek. What is this? This is about being responsive. When God is desiring something for you, it's because he wants to add to you. When the Lord says, seek my face, God is not hiding from us. When he says, seek my face, it's an invitation for him to reveal himself. How did God reveal himself? In and through Jesus. Anything that you can't see in Jesus, delete in your mind about God. Hide not your face from me. Put not thy servant away in your anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me the way. O Lord, lead me in a plain path because of my enemies. Deliver me, not over, to the will of my enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me. And such as breathe out cruelty. In other words, do not, do not let the enemy do to me what he wants to do to me. Be my shield. Protect me. Now this is it. I, this, is, this is now, now it's going to get down to what does this mean for us? What does this mean in our life? What is, what is God saying? Here it is. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In other words, David's expectations about the future is what was energizing him in the present. Because he had a vision for the future and a belief about God and what God wanted to do. That is what energized him through the valleys of real life, through the struggles, through war, through rejection, through him being on the run from his own son. He had a vision about the goodness of the Lord being manifested in the land of the living. In other words, he had a vision that God was going to do it on earth as it is in heaven. He had a vision that what he was seeing is not exactly fully what it is God intended. He kind of knew that there's something more than this. There's something better than this. There's something that is not yet fully here, but it's on its way. And I have a vision about the future. I am I am looking forward to the goodness of the Lord being experienced by the people in the land of the Living, so he had a vision about what God wanted to do, which helped him get through what he was going through. See, when you have a vision of what God wants to do, it helps you to get through what you're going through. You've got to have a vision of something different. Have a vision of yourself free, have a vision of yourself blessed, have a vision of yourself healthy, have a vision of yourself married, have a vision of yourself excited free from drugs, free from porn free, free from whatever will try to put your face down and, and take your neck and put your neck on the curb and have you vulnerable and afflicted by some demonic thing have a vision for your future see this is what David had he had a vision for his future and it was energizing him in the present I don't know if I'm speaking to somebody but I, I don't know about you I got a vision for my future <laughs> You don't need one. I got one. (laughs) And I I want you to, to lay hold of that which God has for you to catch a vision of your future because this is something that is so powerful. You're talking about someone, his own son wanted to kill him. Death had visited his house. Dishonor had visited his house. He was on the run. He was rejected by his own men. He was forsaken by his father. He was rejected by his brother. You're talking about a man who learned to stand. And the thing that energized that was his relationship with God. And because what he believed about God, he believed what he believed about God would land somewhere on earth and people would experience it. Here it is, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Do you know sometimes the most courageous thing that you can do is wait? Do you know how many times I have seen people, I, I, I could write a book, be a bestseller, I have to re- delete everyone's name from it or people want to kill me. Do you, do you know how many times I have seen people, I'm serious, I have seen people not wait, never mind mine, I can write a novel on my own. But then I have people, you know, other people, not you guys, others, who, who take life and matters into their own hands. And, and, and if I could give you like a picture, it would be like you sitting in the, in the passenger seat and all of a sudden you grabbing the wheel. But you're not in position to drive. That, that's the thing. So, so you're, you're making turns. and you're all, Your equilibrium is off. You're, you're, not like, you're not in the driver's seat. You're not meant to be driving. You're meant to be following. And I've watched people do something before it's time only for them to pay for it. Because they couldn't wait. And I've done it myself. I could, I could write a list. And it's cost me thousands of dollars at times. but I couldn't wait. And, and here's the thing. I say this to keep it totally real. Sometimes the most courageous thing that we can do is wait on the Lord and wait for him to be faithful to do what he said he is going to do. Instead of trying to take matters in our own hands and destroy and crash the car into a brick wall. It takes courage to wait because everything in you and everyone around you is saying, don't wait. Take matters in your own hands. Don't wait. What are you waiting for? But once you crash wreck and throw yourself outside the vehicle, and the paramedics got to come and put you on a stretcher, check your pulse and make sure you're still alive, then you realize, wait a second. I should have waited. It takes courage to wait. In a culture that doesn't wait, it, keep your pants on until you get married. Wait. It takes culture. It takes patience. It takes strength. It takes courage. Wait. If, if you think that something is worth it, you'll wait for it. If you don't think something is worth it, you won't wait for it. And, and, here, and here's the thing. If we're not willing to wait for it, what worth do we ascribe to it? There's no value of something that you won't wait for. Go, you know how long it takes to make a Rolex? A year. You know how you know how you know how, you know how it, it takes like 30 minutes to make a G-Shock. It takes a year to make a Rolex. A year. But it will outlast you. You'll be dead and gone. Your kid will be wearing it. See, something valuable is worth waiting for. And we live in a culture that doesn't want to wait. And I want to encourage you, let's be a people who wait on the Lord, who wait for the Lord, who expect the Lord to show up and do what he said he's going to do. It takes courage to wait. And we are a people of courage. We are a people who can believe God to be faithful to do what he said he was going to do. And I can tell you that there's times in my life where I have not waited and I have paid For not waiting. Me. Not you. Adam. (laughs) I have paid. Uh, I don't know if you understand how credit cards work. I do. And so you swipe now and pay later. But you pay with interest. And sometimes you pay double for something that wasn't worth what you paid for it in the first place. Because you couldn't wait for it. And I'm telling you this because I did this and I used to do this and I no longer do this. But I used to do it and I could write a book on it. And you pay double for something that's not worth it because you have to have it now. Lust. Yeah, that's lust. And, and it's so much more powerful when you wait. I don't know if you ever seen... You, you ever hear like cash back reward points? You, you know what that is? You know how that happens? That happens because some other person can't pay their bills. And they're making interest off of them and they're giving you cash back. The cash that they're not paying their bills on there's other people flying around the world on their cash back points because folks don't pay their bills. How do you think that, what is that extra money? Would you go to Target and spend $200 and they go, thank you, sir, you're so good looking, let me give you $50 back. No, that's not how it works. It works through other people getting banged in their face on interest and they go, oh, you're such a nice person, you pay your bills, we'll give you $50 cash back and we'll keep that other person enslaved for the rest of their life. And one of the things that the Lord showed me is that when I was getting into debt, I was giving away my future. I'm not giving my future away. My future belongs to the Lord, and I'm believing for the goodness of the Lord to be manifested in the land of the living. I'm believing for the goodness of the Lord to be manifested in your life, to be manifested in our life, to be manifested in the life of this church, to be manifested where we go, in your workplace. This is what I'm believing for.